Excellent crowd for our Bible study period, and that is something for which you guys ought to be very thankful. Many places, people are not present for the Bible study period, and sometimes uh, we have our Bible study period after our worship service at Carthage. We meet at 9 on Sunday morning for worship and then start the Bible study period about 10, 15, depending on the length of the sermon during the worship service, that is. And uh, uh, sometimes there are people who leave. But our attendance has increased for Bible study uh, since we have our worship service first. Boy, if you guys had your worship service first, there's no telling how many you'd have for Bible study. But uh, just really good to be with you. And uh, we uh, have looked forward to this meeting since the invitation was extended to me some time ago, and we've been here once before. I really enjoyed that, uh, that series of meetings immensely, and uh, we bring you greetings from the church at Carthage. Some of those people will be with us on Tuesday night, Lord willing. We'll bring the van, and uh, we always have several that enjoy going to meetings, and then I tell them, you go with us, and uh, we'll stop at uh, the local Dairy Queen, and if it's not handy, we will uh, stop at McDonald's. And so we all eat ice cream on the way home. I, I have a thing about Dairy Queen ice cream, and uh, then if it's not available, we substitute McDonald's. Uh, but it's good to be with you, and I've met several of you already. I hope to meet every one of you. Uh, it may be hard for me to put a name with your face, uh, many of you I know, of course, and uh, have known for many years. Uh, there's a couple down here near the front, uh, Bobby and Carol Benson. We went to school together, and uh, that was back in the, you know, when they played basketball with a rock and uh, <coughs> things like that. And then right behind them, of course, is uh, uh, Brother and Sister Morgan Medlin, and, and we're always happy to see them. They've been a lot of encouragement to me over the years. and. I appreciate the eldership for the invitation, and we look forward to a profitable and enjoyable gospel meeting. We've been studying on Wednesday nights at Carthage the books of minor prophecy, and I have come to appreciate those books immensely for the practical nature of them even in today's world. They're called the books of minor prophecy, not because they are of less significance than the other books, but generally because they're shorter than such prophecies as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and a few others. There are some of the books of minor prophecy that are just a couple of chapters. Obadiah, of course, is just one chapter, uh, but they are all very profitable and the more you study those books, the more you realize <clears throat> that the problems that face God's people have changed very little since that day and time. Though hundreds of years uh, have elapsed, even thousands of years have elapsed, there's still the same basic problems faced today that those people faced in those days. Uh, Paul told Timothy, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Then in the second uh, epistle that he wrote to Timothy, 
he pointed out to him that in the latter times, perilous times would come. I think we all would agree that we're living in a time wherein men have departed from the faith. And we're living in a time where there is great peril uh, facing us all today. We see the riots in our streets. We see the lawlessness that is so commonplace in our world today. And we see even in the Lord's church those who are bringing in all kinds of innovations and I read just this last week of, a, of another congregation that has introduced instrumental music into worship. And uh, the preacher uh, was quoted as saying, just worship however you feel. I mean, whatever you want to do, you know, go ahead and do it. And so that attitude is being manifested more and more. Congregations are being split by people who are insisting on female leadership uh, in our worship services and in, even in the leadership of the church, having female preachers and all of that. Now, women are very important in the work of the church. Uh, we know that there is an arrangement assigned by the Almighty God that emphasizes male leadership. And sometimes males do not fulfill that role really well, perhaps. But that still is not an excuse for departing from God's way. I want to call your attention this morning, and we may be talking about some of those things in greater detail as the meeting goes on. I want to call your attention this morning to a book I'm sure that you've read several times this last week. The book of Haggai. How many of you have read the book of Haggai recently? Very few of us have. I told the people at Carthage when we started studying the book of Haggai, I said, you know, it had been a while since I'd read that book. And uh, studying the books of minor prophecy, of necessity, I began to, to study it. I'd studied it in time past, but it had been a while uh, since I had read it and looked at it. Let me give you a brief setting of it. The children of Israel have already gone into Babylonian exile. They've been there about 70 years. And then there's that remnant. And that's an idea that's emphasized in the books of minor prophecy that you need to remember. And from which you need to draw encouragement. Though departures from the faith come. And though there are perilous times. Remember that there is always a remnant, maybe very small and seemingly very insignificant to a lot of people. There are those in the politically correct crowd today who would just uh, sort of uh, scoff at the fact that over a hundred people are assembled here in this little community, in the middle of the Bible Belt, on a Sunday morning, to study the Bible and to worship God, to hear what He has to say, they would probably think that we're extremists, probably think that we're some kind of religious nuts, 
But in the eyes of the Lord, I don't think we're viewed that way. And I don't say that presumptuously. But the Bible emphasizes over and over again that God takes notice of the righteous. Notice I said righteous. I didn't say perfect. None of us are perfect. But there is a distinction made always in the Bible about those who, though they are not perfect, their desire is to do the will of God. And to please Him, they have a keen awareness of who He is, what He is about, and they love Him, and they want to do His will. And they believe with all their heart and soul that this is the way life should be lived. And that He will ultimately judge us all, and will reward us accordingly, according to our deeds, the way we have lived. You look at Abraham, not a perfect man. Noah, he is described as being perfect in his generation. That is, he was mature, complete. That's the way the word perfect is often used in the Bible. But we know that following the flood, he made a mistake. And there's no reason to conclude that he was just sinlessly perfect. And that he never lost control or anything like that. You know, uh, all of us say things, do things that we shouldn't do. But the overwhelming desire in his life was to please God. And he obeyed God. Every instruction that he gave him concerning the ark, he followed. He did the will of the Lord. And one of the great statements from the book of Genesis is during that time of the flood, when Noah was adrift in that ark, the Bible says, and God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. Now you look at the books of minor prophecy and you will find that God in nearly every one of those told that prophet to remind the people there's going to be a remnant. And I'm going to take that remnant and I'm going to continue the lineage that will bring the Christ into the world. And just about every one of the minor prophets make that very point. That God will have a remnant. Remember Elijah when he was so discouraged and just overwhelmed, didn't know what to do went into hiding and said, I alone am left. And God said, listen to me. There's still 7,000 people. And I don't know if that's a literal number or just a number that says there's a large bunch of people that still have not bowed their knees to Baal. Elijah, take heart. Get up. Get back to work. Go back to where you need to go and get busy doing what I want done. Well, God told Haggai basically the same thing. He sent Haggai to remind the people, and later he would send Zechariah to do the same thing, uh, but he, he wanted these two prophets to remind the people to get up and get busy. 
They had been in Babylon for 70 years, and they had been allowed to return. Now, something you need to do if you're studying the book of Haggai is to study the book of Ezra in particular in connection with the book of Haggai and even the book of Nehemiah. And those two books will help you understand what is going on in the book of Haggai. The people have returned from Babylonian captivity and they did so with great joy and enthusiasm. Their assigned task was this. You are to rebuild the temple of God. They came back and boy, they really jumped into it. They laid the foundation of the temple and 16 years later, they have not built a thing on that foundation. 16 years have elapsed. And they haven't done anything. So God sends Haggai to tell those people, you're living in your sealed houses. You've built your houses. And my house has not yet been built. I want you to go to the hills where the trees grow. I want you to cut those timbers. I want you to get that wood here. And I want the construction of my house started. Haggai's task was to restore that spirit of zeal and enthusiasm that they had earlier had, but from which they had been sidetracked. Now, during the worship hour, I'm going to tell you what they had allowed to happen and challenge you and me to examine our lives and as to whether or not we allow and have allowed the same things to happen with us. And then this afternoon at 2 o'clock, we're going to look at the restoration that occurred and took place that resulted in the rebuilding of that temple. When they were finally motivated to get up and get to work after 16 years of lethargy and indifference, they built it in five years. Now that came to be known as Zerubbabel's Temple. You had Solomon's temple built earlier, destroyed by the Babylonians, and they had to lay again the foundation, and Zerubbabel was the one who primarily took the lead in building, reconstructing the temple. Nehemiah came back and rebuilt the walls. Then Ezra was primarily responsible for the bringing back in of the law of God and the worship of that he set forth in his law. And then Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple. Now, later on, Herod would make great additions to the temple, and it became known then as Herod's temple. And that would be the one that would be destroyed uh, by the Romans in A.D. 70. So all of that... Uh, is taking place. Uh, we're at that point in time where the Babylonians have destroyed the temple, the foundation has been laid, 
And now it is time for the building to actually be built, to be reconstructed. Now, I want you to notice some things that is said or that are said in uh, Haggai. There's two particular statements, verses that I want you to call your attention to during our Bible study hour. Uh, Haggai, the prophet, spoke saying in verse 4, Is it time for you, O you, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lieth waste? God is saying, my house is lying in waste, and you have all these fine houses to live in? You haven't built on the foundation. You have a roof over your head. But my house doesn't have anything on the foundation. Have you ever seen a bare foundation? Most of us have driven along sometimes and, and we'll, we'll see a foundation and the weeds have grown maybe around it and, and all of that. But nothing's built on it. Many years ago, a building was built in Carthage, Tennessee that housed a particular factory there. And I've never understood why the people there built in a, in a floodplain. But that business was flooded several times as some of the houses were. I remember times when you could drive uh, through Carthage and you could see only the television antenna on some houses. Maybe the chimney rest of the house is underwater. They've since taken a lot of those houses away and so on. But there's this one particular place where I drive by nearly every day, and there's this huge mass of concrete, and not a thing is built on it. Now, that's what this would have looked like. Foundation, nothing built on it. But when you looked around, all these people that came back from Babylon for the express purpose, as stated in Ezra 1, of for rebuilding the temple, that was their vision, that was their charge. They're living in all these fine houses. But God's house is nowhere to be seen. Just the foundation. And Haggai is shaming the people somewhat. And saying, you know, you aren't paying any attention to the God who delivered you out of Babylonian captivity. How could you forget him? We'll see more about that in a minute. So here's what God said. Now, therefore, verse 5, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Man, that's a loaded statement, isn't it? Consider your ways. The word consider means to give attention to. Give attention to your ways. The original word means to place or to put or to set. That is really concentrate on this. Think about what you're doing. Think about the consequences of your actions. Remember the charge that God gave you. And the word ways, which would be the second very important word in that statement, is from the Hebrew derek, I think is the way you pronounce it, or derek. Starts with a D, ends with a K. And it denotes a trodden path. 
a path in which you're walking persistently. About this time of year, as the grass starts greening out, have you ever driven along the road and, and looked at the pastures where the cows have walked? And those paths are so well-worn, and, and they have been so packed down by the regular path of, of the cattle that there's no grass growing there. That's, a, that's the idea here. These people have gotten into a, the proverbial rut, and they have forgotten the way of the Lord. And as a result of that, they have failed to carry out God's will. Consider your ways, he says. Notice in verse 7, well, let's read verse 6. You have sown much, bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you aren't filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. Have you ever tried to fill up a grain sack that has holes in it with grain? Maybe the rats and mice have gotten to it, you know, and they've eaten some holes in the bottom of it, and you aren't aware of it, and you start pouring the corn in, and as the corn goes in, the corn runs out. It's like trying to you know, ladle water out of something with something that is, is filled with holes and you get a little water maybe, but what he's saying is enough is never enough for you. You just keep working and hoarding and taking to yourselves and have you ever gone to the grocery store after a hard week's work and you go in with your paycheck and, and they'll still cash the check, you know? Not everybody uses plastic. But uh, you give them the check and, man alive, by the time you buy your groceries, and of course you don't just buy food anymore if you go to Walmart or wherever, you buy all these other things, you know. I told him at the store in Carthage one time, I said, you know, a fella could live if he didn't have to eat. I hope you got that now. But it's amazing at how much we spend on things. And when you, when they give you your, uh, what's coming to you back after your purchase, you think, man, where'd my paycheck go? These people were working, they were making all kinds of money, but it wasn't enough. They bought their clothes, but they didn't stay warm. They drank, but it didn't satisfy their thirst. They'd eat, but it didn't satisfy their hunger. They just wanted more and more and more, and all the time, God's house is unfinished. You know, they're, they've really missed the path somewhat. Consider your ways. Their ways were not God's ways. They needed to really examine their priorities. They needed to look at their own lives. To think diligently about that. Well, they had laid the foundation to the temple... Ezra chapter 3 tells us about that. But somehow or the other, they had for 16 years abandoned it. 
They had lost their way. The first time that the way of the Lord is mentioned is Genesis 18, verse 19. The way of the Lord. It is said of Abraham that he would lead his children in the way of the Lord. God believed that about Abraham. He had confidence in him. That's the task of all of us as parents and grandparents to lead our children in the way of the Lord. Abraham would be called the father of the faithful. The faithful are those who walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, God had a way before Abraham came along. God's way was revealed to Adam and Eve at the dawning of time. He told them what they could eat of, what they were not to eat of. That was the way of the Lord. Now, they abandoned that way. They chose to sin against God. A little bit later... Cain and Abel would come to worship God. And it's my conviction that probably Adam had relayed to them the message of God as to how they were to worship. Hebrews 11 reminds us, of course, that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. So we know that he had to have heard the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17. It would have been highly unfair and unjust of God to have refused Cain's sacrifice if nothing had been revealed to him about the manner of that sacrifice and the manner in which it was to be offered. So there's no doubt in my mind that both Cain and Abel had received communication concerning what they were to do in worship. One chose to obey it. The other chose to go his own way. And so from the very dawning of time, God's way has been revealed to men. But it is said specifically, identified specifically as the way of the Lord in Genesis 18, 19. From that point onward, a study of the way of the Lord is very interesting. Of course, there's basically two ways that men may walk. They may walk in their own ways. They may walk in the ways of the Lord. When God was about to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, you remember that He could have sent them the nearer way through the land of the Philistines. But he chose not to do that because he said they're not ready for the rigors of war and the Philistines are a hostile people and they're going to encounter some difficulties if I send them that way. So he sent them the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And it would be in that wilderness that he taught them a lot of lessons and eventually weeded out those that really weren't that concerned about the ways of the Lord. 
Now, no doubt a lot of people said, well, why didn't you send us that other way? It was a lot shorter. Shorter way is not always the best way. We've all learned that in life. I, I have a thing about these GPS gadgets. Kids got us one for Christmas, and I didn't have sense enough really electronically to figure the thing out, so there's a couple of girls that work where Barbara works at the bank, and, and they're really great on those. But I handed this girl mine, and it even stomped her. She said, Edward, you're in Chicago, not Carthage. And she said, I can't get you out of Chicago. I said, well, that's not going to do me a lot of good, is it? But we have had several situations in Smith County in the last few years where people with campers going to Defeated Creek will come into Carthage. And their GPS will send them out through Turkey Creek. It weaves and winds and uphills and downhills. And there's a hairpin curve or two. And more than one has had, have had wrecks in those uh, curves but invariably uh, the rescue people sometimes will get a call or the the law enforcement people uh, come and help us get this person off of this road we're going to shut it down on both ends to get this camper uh, out of there and occasionally even you'll find an 18 wheeler on some of those roads I pulled up to the intersection of 85 and 80 not too many months ago. Big semi right in front of me, and the guy jumped out wearing a Dallas cowboy jacket. I, I could see him in my headlights. He ran back to my truck, and he said, uh, Sir, if I turn right here, can I get to Red Boiling or to Lafayette, I believe he said. And I said, Yes, sir, you can, but you'll have a time doing it because I knew he would have to go up through Pleasant Shade and out Russell Hill, weaves and winds, real narrow road. I said, you can probably make it. And it might be pretty good driving for a little ways, but it will get rough. Shorter way, probably. Best way, no. Not at all. Now that's what the children of Israel encountered. God sent them the longer way. That was the way of the Lord. And he would tell them in the book of Deuteronomy, I want you to remember the way you came. And I want you to remember all the things that happened along the way. And he told them several times, don't forget those things. Are we forgetting those things today? Sometimes I think we are. The book of Psalms is very interesting. First chapter. What does God talk about in that psalm? He talks about in verse 1, the way of sinners. The way of sinners. The man who is blessed does not take the way of sinners. I looked at several other passages. In verse 6 of that psalm, Psalm 1, he talks about the way of righteousness. Look at that. You have the way of sinners and you have the way of the righteous. Right there in the very first psalm. 
A little bit later in the book of Psalms, chapter 5, verse 8, Make thy way straight before my face. Be sure that you live like you're supposed to. The ways of the wicked are always grievous. Psalm 10, verse 5. The way of the wicked is pointed out in Psalm 146, verse 9. In Psalm 18, verse 30, God's way is described as perfect. However, man may travel according to chapter or Psalm 35, verse 6, a way that is dark and slippery. Those are the two words used to describe that way. Christians are to walk in the light. And it will be a path where you're sure where you're stepping. Uh, stepping. And you can see the pitfalls and the dangers. You walk in the light as he is in the light. The 119th Psalm is one of my favorite studies because it deals, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, as you know, 176 verses. But the subject matter there is just tremendous. It is a great study of the Word of God. He's talking about the Word of God. He uses several terms to denote the Word of God. Sometimes it's God's statutes, God's judgments, God's commandments, God's Word. You know, he uses all those different uh, sayings to identify God's Word. And then he, he tells us and describes that way that is revealed therein. And he talks about the ways that are dangerous. For example, in verse 29, he talks about the way of lying. And then in verse 30, he talks about the way of truth. Look at that vivid contrast. Do, do not we understand today the difference between a lie and the truth? Certainly we do. But all of these ways could be summed up in Jesus' words, where he talked about that broad way that leads to destruction and that narrow way entered by the straight gate. Notice, a way has an entrance point. The entrance point of the narrow way is the straight gate. And that isn't spelled with a G. It's a straight as a narrow passageway between two bodies of water, for example. It's very restricted. It's difficult to navigate. And that's the idea here. It is a narrow way entered by a straight gate. Now, what about the broad way? It's entered by a wide gate. I mean, you just open the gate, and uh, people sometimes talk about opening the floodgates. That's one of the things that happens when you start bringing in instrumental music, women preachers, things like that. The floodgates open. Worship how you feel. Are you ready for that? You know, can you imagine what all could happen? What all could be brought in? There are now those who are suggesting it would be all right to do interpretive dancing as an act of worship. I heard part of a religious broadcast coming up here this morning. It was music. I remember years ago when 
a, pre, uh, a denominational group in Smith County was having some pretty severe problems because there were those who were wanting to add to the piano. They wanted to bring in drums. And there were those who were opposed to that. That would be totally out of place. Too much racket. Too loud. You know, the Bible doesn't say anything about using drums in worship. Doesn't say anything about using the piano either, does it? But there was a preacher who was taking some of those people to task because he said, you know, if you're going to use a piano, why can't you use a guitar and a banjo and a mandolin and a fiddle and, and all those things, see? And there was nobody who could disprove that. So guess what's now happening? Uh, they're using all of those things. You open the floodgates wide is the gate. Not narrow, but wide. Anything goes. That's the idea. Jesus describes those ways in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. I really wish that I had time to discuss with you the way of the Lord. When I introduced this thought of the way of the Lord in our study on Wednesday night, there was a brother who came out and he said, Edward, I really wish that you would Bring that all the way into the New Testament and help us to, to understand that a little better. So we did. We took the next Wednesday night and, and went all the way uh, through the Old Testament prophets, all the way from Genesis, all the way through the books of prophecy, especially Isaiah and Jeremiah where Isaiah said, you know, uh, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts where God said, rather, through Isaiah, and my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and so on. Isaiah 55, about verses 8 and 9. And then Jeremiah, stand you in the way and see, and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way. Jeremiah 6, 16, and walk therein. But you said, we will not. And then we brought it on through the book of Malachi and then to the days of John who was to come and prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. And then you come into the book of Acts where the church is sometimes described as the way or this way. And you follow that all the way through the epistles. It is a tremendous study. And if I had the time this morning, we would do that. But I challenge you. Just take you a good concordance or get on your computer and type in the way as found in the Bible. And it is a great study for all of us personally. God has always had a way. But men generally have chosen to go their own way. And people have to be called back to the way of the Lord. And sometimes after they're brought back to the way of the Lord, they will depart yet again. Because we are notorious as humans for being stubborn and rebellious 
against the God who created us and has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You've been a good audience. We appreciate your attention. We hope the study has been helpful. Remember that statement, consider your ways. It's been good to be with you. I haven't heard a bell yet. I was told it would ring around 10.15. Okay, if I finished early, that's a record.